You're listening to Brand to Brand, the marketing show. With your hosts, Thomas Sterling. This is the future. This is where everything goes. And Veronica St. Cyr. Why the hell would anybody buy this? An unfiltered conversation on brand strategy. And it worked like crazy. Marketing trends. I think they're in again. And emerging technology. There's going to be big impacts here. You're excited. I'm pumped. (laughs) All right. Let's kick things off. Please put your hands together for the host of Brand to Brand, Tom and All right, well, first of all, we've never done this before, so you guys have to bear with us. This is the first ever live brand to brand event, and judging from the response so far, we may never do this again. I don't know if we're on. Yeah, no pressure, everybody. <laughs> I hope we do this again. I hope so too. I don't know. We'll see. And I think, judging from what uh, some, if many of you, from the conversations we had when we first got here, uh, there's some trepidations about the topic at hand today. We're talking about AI. Some people are excited about it. Some people think it's going to save the world. A lot of people are scared. They think it's weird. They're afraid of what it means. And I think some people are fearful of what it means for the general economy, for people's jobs. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, V? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, commend you all for being here because you're taking a step towards uh, having this conversation with us. I think it's important for business leaders in your community to keep your, you know, kind of finger on the pulse for what's going on in terms of something like AI. It's kind of hard to figure out maybe where to jump in. We were talking a little bit before this. How do you know how to take that first step? Um, As a comp lit major also, I literally took classes and went into debt studying dystopian literature. So this is really weird that I'm up here. Um, I've had my own reservations about AI. Tom is kind of a different perspective. I love it. I think it's great. Loves it. Loves it. Spoiler alert. I I think it speaks to the fact that I'm here having this conversation today, um, that I've kind of had a journey of coming to see where AI is maybe here to help and empower uh, and not replace. And our hope is today everybody walks away Uh, maybe a little tipsy and a little full, uh, but with uh, a little bit more of a feeling of being prepared for the future that we're all a part of and it's happening. And we're gonna drink while we do this and we recommend that you do as well, but that's really- (laughs) Yeah, we'll actually get funnier the more you drink. (laughs) It's a little bit of yay and then bang, shake and bang, that's our nickname. Yeah, you can hear it. All right, but first off, what is this AI shit really? Excuse me, sorry. Honestly, uh, for a lot of people, they're like, oh my God, AI, what is it? I'm not using it. A lot of people said they're using it daily, so that's awesome. For those that did not answer daily, you are using it daily, because guess what? It's on your phone. It's on the internet. It's on online shopping. It's kind of everywhere. A lot of people are thinking about it when they actually go to something like, let's say, a chat GPT, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, and that's their thought when they're actually using AI, but AI has already kind of been around, and I think It's funny because we've talked about AI for so long. What its purpose has been continues to evolve and will continue to evolve. So AI, I think, really is just this kind of global language uh, for all that. Something else, because we said we're going to try to keep it a little positive today, although I am a doomsdayer, so if anyone wants to have that real conversation after. (laughs) um, I think that there's a a conversation that's being had, and there's this um, quote that you're hearing a lot of people in, in AI say, which is, AI will empower, AI will not replace. And it is up to leaders to figure out how to share that message with their team. And you kind of have to live it uh, and role model that behavior. A thing we always talk about with AI is, and you know, this is even a concept if anyone's in lean management, where you hear lean management if you're an employee and you think, oh, they're gonna cut me. They're keeping it lean, they're staying efficient. Lean
mean is learn, enable, nurture, complete opposite of that. It's cutting out inefficiencies to ensure that your people are doing uh, something good with their time, something useful and productive for the company and making you money. Um, so with AI, if we think about it as something that can reduce the mundane, you can actually empower your people to be more strategic. So the stuff that's actually costing them a lot of time, therefore costing you a lot of money, you can now empower them to take some of that off their plate, let AI do that for them, and empower that person to be a more strategic ambassador for your business. It's like we can't have unpaid interns. We don't really do unpaid interns anymore, right? That's not but cool. You can, but you can fire up an unpaid AI assistant very quickly yes. and cheaply, right? Let AI be your unpaid intern or even let it be your therapist if that's something that you're not paying for. There's no therapist in the room, right? All right. But seriously, though, let's talk about who's getting disrupted. Any lawyers in the room? Show of hands. No attorneys. So we could say whatever we want about attorneys. All right. Legal profession, hugely potentially disrupted. A lot of some of the mundane work. Instead of having to search for cases anymore, AI can do that in a matter of seconds. Customer service representatives, people already talked about that. So that's clearly a thing. And, you know, in some cases, how many people have had a bad customer service interaction? I think those robots might be able to do it better. Honestly. Uh, data entry clerks, retail cashiers, bank tellers, telemarketers, bookkeepers and accountants, radiologists, apparently. I don't know. That, that's I feel like that's a moment. really weird moment if you're having one of the most human moments ever and you're getting an ultrasound if you're pregnant, <laughs> you're a woman, and you're, just, there's just a robot. Like, let me see if there's the a machine. person in there. I feel like maybe we could keep that one with people, but... Journalists, real estate agents, travel agents. Travel agents have had a hard go of it, honestly. Paralegals and uh, legal assistants, loan officers. Lots of lots of industries. There's a lot of industries being disrupted. And I think as business leaders, if you're in this room and this is something that you're yourself kind of exposing to, you know, investing in continuous learning is something that's really critical. Can you find days to maybe tap some of your team if you're in a business where you can't have your whole team do a heads down day? Can you start to encourage them to test out AI, create a pilot group, allow people that space to, to learn and encourage them to do so? It's not, you know, we made some jokes and we're doing the poll it's not cutting corners. Show them, model the behavior, and give them that space for that continuous learning, and they can upskill and reskill maybe and learn new ways of doing things, which is important, I think we all felt after the pandemic, to be even more agile in how we're operating. And speaking about the pandemic, adopt a hybrid model. And I know everyone's like, hybrid, hybrid work. Hybrid is like using humans and AI, which we're all doing, but having conversations with your team about how you're going to use AI in your day-to-day. -day. And you know, for leaders in the room, it's also have some strategic planning with your team, bring them into the conversation, uh, model that and really foster a culture of adaptability. Ultimately, people are looking to us on our teams to model what we're looking for them to do. And that's really that first step. I think we should probably talk about some of the top tools and give people some use cases. Let's do it. Although it does seem like we have power users in the room. They're using it every day. Some of them are using it for photography. So generative AI. Some are using it for text. I mean. Some are uh, writing history papers. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting applications. Uh, ChatGPT is probably the one. Quick show of hands. How many people have used that? Okay. Very popular. People ask, they're like, ChatGPT, is it all created equal? What about that thing where that attorney used it and it made up all that casework? I don't know if we all saw those headlines, but it's not like it's always going to give you the best thing. Hallucinations, that's a weird thing for a computer to do. It looks like it's right. It looks like it knows what it's doing. GPT 3.5 versus 4.0 is radically different. So if you're using the free version versus the paid version, you're just setting yourself up at, uh, I don't know, it's like what the, I'm not a golfer, but what are the tees? What are the furthest tees, Paul, that you know, you're, that, the, that you could be at the white tees? 
The tips. Okay. It's like setting yourself all the way back, right? So if you want that head start, it's the latest and greatest. It's really what you want to consider using. And a lot of organizations are starting to license it and set it up for people on their team. Um, so people have asked, should I upgrade? Yeah, it's, wor it's worth a shot. It's worth investing in, especially if it's that unpaid intern. Costs a lot less than an intern, right? Uh, people ask about data being outdated, too. The newer uh, ChatGPT allows you to hook it up to the internet, it's connected, it has plugins, it has all sorts of other tools. So again, it's fundamentally um, got a lot more going on. You you set it up, what were your experiences with it? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of ways that if you change the plugins, it kind of changes your entire experience with ChatGPT. I think for some people, and some people I've talked to before this, use it a few times, doesn't really give you the output you want, and you're like, I don't really see how this is practical. Do you wanna talk about some of the other tools? Yeah, how many people have used Google Bard? A couple, not as many. That's sad, Google. Uh, honestly, not as good a product in a lot of people's opinions, although now it's more deeply integrated. So if you use Google Apps, it ties right into all your stuff. You can ask it, when was the last time I sent an email to somebody? And it can peek right into your inbox. Not that everyone wants that to happen, right? Um, they're getting better. Uh, Claude is another one. Um, Mid-Journey, though. And, and uh, Mid-Journey for the barrier to entry, it's, it's pretty incredible. You can't just go to the website, sign it, and do what you need to do. You need to set up a Discord account and all sorts of other stuff. But, man, is that a powerful tool if you want to actually start getting into creativity mode where you want to create something that you've never seen before. It can generate images. It can generate works of art. Uh, it's scary for artists, for sure. Uh, it's, it's scary, scary for, for, for propaganda as well. I think we've seen a lot of images come out where it looks so real and it's so fake. Or you've seen a lot of funny images. My favorite is a bottle of ranch dressing testifying in court. That's an <laughs> image I'll never get out of my head. And you're like, how the heck can I use this? But for generating, like let's say you are a creative and you're a little bit stuck yeah. in the process, this can be the thing that gets you out of that creative roadblock way faster than some of the more, I think, analog ways we used to approach those roadblocks. Absolutely. I think it opens up whole new veins for creativity and for people that are afraid of it. I think it just scaffolds and makes it a lot easier for you to get your ideas out there. And so I think it just makes people uh, give them an opportunity for more free expression. Perplexity is another interesting one. That's one that's great on your phone. You can actually utilize it. It's kind of like a research assistant. You can put stuff into it, have conversations with it, and it's just constantly generating you your own custom article responses, which is pretty crazy. Um, and it's certainly fun, and it's way better at citing sources than ChatGPT. I mean, every single input it gives you back has five to ten sources. So there's a little bit more trust there. There's less likelihood uh, and probability of hallucinations. Um, Jasper AI, Adobe Firefly, I mean, there are literally hundreds of it. In some ways, uh, part of the problem for a lot of people is figuring out if this is actually a legitimate tool because there's a lot of vaporware out there. And I think digging into some of the use cases for ChatGPT, because I know we saw some hands of people using it. Are, is anyone using it every single day? Show it. Okay, a couple. Great. Um, we got some marketers over here. I was super skeptical. I was not an early adopter, um, and I am now using it every day. I think some there's some use cases maybe we don't always consider. One is onboarding. It can help you build an onboarding plan that's super critical as we're coming out of the great resignation. We're thinking about maybe bringing people onto our staff. Maybe we've identified people on our team that need additional training. Ask ChatGPT to help you build an onboarding plan. Documentation. This is really huge. This is probably super different based on the roles that we're in, but especially when you think about hiring new people, who loves when you have a new hire and you feel like you are answering the same question 47 times every single day? Wouldn't it be great if you had some help in creating some custom documentation that you could do once, process, and then keep there? 
another one is in-house advising. This is super broad, but uh, someone in this room and I were making a joke earlier about feeling like therapists at your job where you're not a licensed therapist. Uh, I know a lot of people don't go to therapy and I'll stop talking about this. You should, but <laughs> let ChatGPT be your free therapist. And I know that's funny, but you can ask it. Like, what if you have a performance challenge with somebody on your team? As Tom would say, don't use their name, right? Because we don't know how this is going to evolve. If you're uploading it in there, you're putting it out into who knows where, into some other training model. So if I'm having a problem with Veronica, which happens all the time, all the time, I could change her name to Victoria, and it would be easy to upload. And I know you get confused for Victoria, so that was just a, a shot at you. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's everything, performance challenges, you have a, a business strategy problem, you want to check in on what the competition's doing, there's so many endless use cases for how you can leverage ChatGPT to give you information. Pretend it's like your office buddy. Like how many times you just like, can you believe this guy? Instead of like creating a toxic workplace, like get it out to ChatGPT and, and ask it to give you some solutions so that are actually meaningful. So you're talking to the robot, that's what's going on. All the on. time, Tom. That's why uh, we work so well together, I have I've help. Improved communication. Improved communication is a huge thing. You can send something before you send someone a nasty gram. Upload it there. And I know a lot of people are using it to workshop emails and solve for writer block. But it can also help for tonality. Maybe we're all working on uh, trying to be a little bit more direct in our communication. Well, you can work on that. Maybe we're too direct. We need to dial it down a little bit. Um, and we've all had that moment where we need to sit on an email overnight, right? So this is where that can actually be um, really helpful. And creative ideation is another big one because let's be honest, sometimes it's really hard for us to get the idea from here out to here or communicate it to somebody else. And guess what? I feel like AI has taught me something about human interaction and human communication because honestly, sometimes you have an interaction with somebody that's a few feet away from you, you're having a conversation and they're like, yep, uh-huh, yep, totally understand what you're saying. And they have no idea what you're talking about. Well, AI, you know right away it had no idea what you were talking about and it helps you say, okay, let me take a little bit more time. Let me reflect on what I'm going to put out there so that what I get back is good. So, um, and we all know sometimes if you put a little effort in, you share an agenda before a meeting, you get more out of that meeting. Uh, it's the same with AI, honestly. You just, it's having a conversation. So I think we could just talk all day and say funny things, but we want to give people something useful that you can walk away, maybe immediately use. Um, we did want to talk about prompting a little bit with ChatGPT. Uh, Tom, do you want to speak to this? Absolutely. A lot of people get stuck here. And a lot of people are having one-off conversations with AI and not actually having a two-way conversation. And so they're not getting much back. In fact, they're getting crap. And then they're saying, okay, it's not actually that useful. And then they don't incorporate it in their daily routine simply because of that. And that's coming down to prompting. It's how you're interacting with the technology. And that will get easier. I think, you know, we're in an early stage of AI. It's going to become easier and easier to actually go through that. But garbage in, garbage out. Um, and I think, you know, I like to use the breakup example. If you're having a conversation with somebody and you're having, you're in a bad relationship. And for some of this, for some of us, this was a long time ago, but, uh, you know, you're having a bad conversation. You're having a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh, this isn't working. That isn't working if you only share the things that aren't working, they're going to tell you, you should break up with that person right away. Then you're like, well, wait a second, hold on. Uh, it's the same with, it's the same with these tools. So you kind of need to make sure that first and foremost, when you're in front of the prompt, take your time, really lay out all your goals. In fact, I've spent 20, 30, 45 minutes on a prompt and then you get absolute perfection back. And I know that sounds crazy to spend that much time on it. We're going to talk about why we're going to do a live example for what a prompt like that might actually look like. We'll speed it up. It's not going to take 40 minutes. Um, 
The next thing I would say is like, instead of just, you know, not just taking your time, but also for ChatGPT specifically, every single one of those threads is like firing up a new conversation with your AI friend. A lot of people just start a new thread every single time. What you should really be doing is thinking about labeling those threads. So labeling them and saying like, you know, this is my email writer tool. This is my tool to help me with this specific use case. And then go back to that thread, use it again. Because you're putting time in every single time that you're utilizing and interacting with it, it's learning from that interaction. Yeah, I think, and something we have to point out is that uh, someone on our team, Mads in the room, our production assistant, and Tom have nicknamed ChatGPT ChadGPT. Well, you gotta name it. I mean, so, come on. But I think a good way to think about what Tom's talking about in a practical sense is you're having that breakup conversation with your friend and you're only telling them the backstory, but you want to give them an update of what's going on. Or like, we all have people in our lives, we tell tell stories about like the dramas of being a human being. Imagine if every single time you went to tell your friend, you had to give them all the backstory from every previous time you'd talk to them. That would be exhausting. But we do that. We fire up all these different threads and we think we're just asking the same bot. Every time you start a new chat in chat G in Chad GPT, it is a new chat. It's a new human being or AI robot that you're talking to. So you want to be teaching every individual chat and thread specific things. And that way over time, it will start to learn from that and give you better and better outputs. And guess what? When you start that conversation with Chad or wh whoever you want to call your AI assistant, you can tell it what you want it to be. You can say, you are my personal trainer, my therapist, my whatever you want to be. You are an elite personal trainer and you're going to give me a 10 step program to have better ads. What they uh, ads what they had seven minute abs five minute abs whatever it is you act you actually have to take a moment to say this is what I want you to be before you address it whatever the question is if you don't ask it that it's going off this corpus of information it doesn't even know where to start so I would say that's one other thing that people don't necessarily think about the other thing is when you're doing your prompt you can ask for multiple things you can ask for multiple outputs from that one prompt so you can actually do what we call goaling meaning Goal one, I want you to deliver this. Goal two, I want you to do that. Goal three, do this. We'll talk about that too. And if you ask Tom, you don't have to say thank you. I disagree. <laughs> I feel like if the robots ever take over, I want them to know who is being polite and thinking of them the entire time. So I think a thank you once in a while is probably goes, I guess it goes a, a good idea. Way. I mean, you don't have to be rude. I'm just saying some people are like, please do this. Thank you so much. Please do that. Thank you but so much. But also, do you have people on your team, and I can be guilty of this too, where you say, would you mind and it's like, it's their job. They probably wouldn't mind. They probably should just, do the thing. You don't have to, you get to cut some of that out when you're asking for that information. Just get to the point. So are we down to do a live prompting? Are you? Yeah, you if it's it? quick, is everyone down for a quick live prompting? Okay. All right. We'll try to speed this up for time. Yeah. So let's think of an example here. What, what, what seems like a good relevant example that we might want to use? And this is a multi-parter. We're trying to build a, a larger prompt. Maybe not the most exhaustive prompt, but let's have some fun with it. Let's actually give some, some, some length. Uh, what if I'm an interior designer? Okay. And I have a client that wants a lot of things, and I got a lot going on, and so I don't really you, have time to think about this. You are missing inspiration. Yeah, I just need, need the inspiration. I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. I okay. just need like a little help getting started. All right. So if you're an interior decorator that is kind of stuck here, maybe start your prompt with 
Simply saying, ask the robot to be the interior decorator. So you're an interior des uh, decorator that specializes in crafting amazing spaces in homes across the U.S. I know it's a little extra marketing fluff, but like, let's give this robot a real identity here, okay? Uh, and then I think next you got to describe your problem. So you just signed a new client that wants to modernize their old colonial home. Give the client a name. Their name is Brandon, and they love blue. So now you're starting to build a little bit more of a rapport with what the problem is you're trying to solve here. I, I actually pasted some of this in so you don't have to type it all out. But Well, thank you for like that, but <laughs> I'm going to go my own way. All right. I'm asking ChatGPT4. Uh, sure, modernizing a colonial home while incorporating shades of blue is a delightful challenge. <laughs> so positive. Here are some suggestions tailored for Brandon. First is front facade and entrance. Paint colors, it's giving me hues. A subtle nod to Brandon's favorite color. This is a welcoming focal point. Brush nickel, it's giving me living room, dining room. So it's breaking down every room and saying, here's what you should do for furniture, lighting, in the kitchen, cabinetry, countertop, and hardware. In the bedroom, the walls, you could have a, a one feature wall in a serene shade of blue that can be paired with a neutral tone. It's even recommending bedding, the art you might want to stage on the walls. In the bathroom, the tiles, the accessories, soap dispensers, an outdoor area. Brandon's got a budget. Uh, miscellaneous <laughs> tip, and then miscellaneous tips. It just says, hey, while you're considering flooring, keep it neutral. Consider medium-toned wood floors or gray tiles, which pair beautifully with beautiful hues. One uh, Window treatments and even greenery outside. So it's even now telling me what landscaping. So now this is helping me envision what Brandon might actually want. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're sitting in front of the computer trying to figure out, maybe it's a pro proposal you're putting together. Maybe it's an, a, a concept that you're working through. Just seeing an output of doesn't have to be right. Maybe the art it picked out was terrible. Maybe the color scheme didn't make any sense. And you're the professional, but maybe it gets you out of your own head and gets you into that next stage of what you need to do. And so now that you've teed up this AI assistant to be the expert that you really need, to be kind of a research partner and a sounding board, I think this is where it kind of gets interesting. So next I think you'd be like, he wants a space that better reflects his personality. So goal one, research trends for 2023 for nautical homes, then distill down the top five takeaways. So again, always good to number what you're looking for. Don't just say, give me some takeaways. Specify what it is. Um, goal two, Brandon also wants to provide a name for the library that's unique and references his favorite author, Hemingway. And again, we're just adding some fun and some flair here, right? Um, and please provide five options with each name, come up with pros and cons. So don't just give me five names, give me pros and cons. Feel free to be greedy when you're talking to this AI assistant you just hired. Goal three, your client wants to have all new furnishings for his 10,000 foot square home, lay out a list of furnishings for a house of that size category and show it to me in a table. Now that's important because Maybe you want to look at that information, quickly scan it. Don't just ask it to just give it to you in paragraphs. Ask it for you in the format that you want. So again, simple example. Did you did you ask your assistant? I did. I listened to you this time and copy pasted. <laughs> uh, so for goal one, color trends for nautical homes, seascape pastels, deep ocean blues, seaside accents, marine greens, and then it's giving you all of the examples. For goal two, Brandon loves Hemingway and wants to name his library the Earnest Escape, the Lost Generation Lounge, or the Hemingway Haven. Great idea. And all of these are in tables, which for some of us, if you're reading paragraphs of information, is really hard to make sense of. And goal three, furnishings for a 10,000 foot square house. I have some now for a living area, 
uh, dining area, a kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, and the library, reading chairs, a writing desk. You probably want a floor lamp, rugs, in the outdoor area, outdoor rugs, garden, benches, home office, a recreation area. Brandon's got a pool table. I mean, we said 10,000 square feet, more so for fun, just to see what this AI assistant would really pack in. I mean, there's... A crazy set of rooms and, there. And I think something to just take away from this too is even as I'm I'm working in this, ChatGPT4 is giving me updates for new things I can do in the tool. So we recommend buying the license for this. We do not work for ChatGPT. This is not sponsored by OpenAI. <laughs> Sam Altman is loving this right now. Um, he's the CEO of OpenAI, so I'm sure he would that we're promoting he's him. He's doing but just fine right now. Try it out. Buy the paid version. And then if you feel like this is something that generally could help people on your team, encourage everyone one, invest in getting them a paid account. Set each person up on your team with a paid chat GPT-4 account and see what they can do. So I think we wanted to close it up with some use cases before we open a Q&A. Veronica, you want to talk a little bit about some of the other use cases that we've seen? Yeah, so there are a lot, and I think there's a common misconception. And for anyone who's interested in this topic and wants a little bit more, um, Andrew Ang is... is one of the greatest voices right now in, a, in AI. He has a great TED Talk. It's only about 11 minutes long. It's it's easy to digest. And he was the former presidential candidate that wanted to give away uni universal basic income. So yes. some people may remember <laughs> so him. You might remember that. him. He's also the founder of Coursera. Um, he did a really great TED Talk about uh, making AI accessible. And he talks about how all of us are a part of um, of building this AI future, whether we kind of like it or not. And there's a quote that comes up a lot, which is the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Um, he talks a lot about making sure that AI remains accessible and open and where the people who are safeguarding that. And an important part of this is by being in this room and seeking this out and trying AI and having these conversations, even if maybe they are a little freaky, you have a seat at the table of that narrative for how our society and the human race will evolve with with technology, no pressure. Um, so a big thing that he talks about is, um, he does this talk about you can leverage AI in any business. I think we've all heard you need these huge data sets to use AI, and that's not true. If you're a small business, you likely have enough data that there's a lot of AI that's accessible to you just based on what you have. Legal services, IP search, uh, automated billing, you can draft documents, regulatory uh, compliance, you can ensure you're compliant with changing legal re regulations and doing some of your due diligence, real estate, property valuation, you could use AI algorithms and machine learning to actually get a more accurate property valuation. And even lead generation is something that we're starting to see specific tools developed in. And he talks a lot about the fact that small businesses can't afford an AI engineer and that that's a serious cost to a lot of them, but it's going to get easier. It's going to get cheaper. And there's lots of products now that are going to be targeted more and more towards small businesses. So I think just kind of closing, um, AI is, is not the Terminator that's coming to kill all of our jobs quite yet. <laughs> Jury's out on the future, but we shall see. Uh, but a lot of people are concerned about what it means for copyright law. You put this stuff into the system, it generates all this stuff back. Can I copyright it then? Um, well, I think, unfortunately, that the uh, office in the government that's responsible for copyright does not move as swiftly as technology. So what's likely to happen is uh, no one's going to know exactly what's going to be uh, responsible there for years to come. But in the meantime, you put something in, you get something out. You can't copyright that. You make a change to it, all of a sudden you can. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's where things are today. Yeah. What about uh, potential risks and challenges of integrating AI into your business, Thomas? 
That's a good question. I think a lot of people are like, okay, well, how do I get my team around this? And I think we're all going to face some opposition. I think people are going to look at it and say, why do we want to use this? Is this how is this going to affect my job? Um, because I think people are worried. So we as leaders really need to model that behavior, which we've talked about. And, and if we lead by example, if we are excited about it, if we're able to show applications for how it makes people's lives easier, work easier, then ultimately you're going to get that, that training and that buy-in um, and people are going to come around to that. Um, the other thing I think that people are worried about is bias. Do you have any thoughts on bias, Veronica? I mean, we're the ones who, as we just said, are kind of putting everything into this tool right now. So it is up to us to ensure that this is a conversation that we're having and staying up to date with because it's huge. I mean, you talk about you talk to the guy who do we all remember the Google engineer who said that Google created a sentient AI and was like a whistleblower. That was a little freaky, right? Um, he had this conversation about it's a lot of also Western nations that are developing AI. Are we now going to see this kind of technology colonization uh, of other cultures? So it's something we need to be extremely mindful of. And if you even hear some of the most uh, influential and intelligent voices, they're not really sure how we're going to have this conversation. So I think it's something we need to kind of all be extremely mindful of. And now for something completely different. So um, we did ask some people to put some questions in our festive pumpkin over there. So we do have a couple, but if anyone is so bold to be first on the dance floor and has a question, please feel free to uh, yell it in the mic. If not, I can read off some of these. It's hard to go first. Oh, well, I can go first because someone put this in the bucket. Is Tom single? And the answer is no. And I, says no I believe and the love of his. Right over there. I believe I saw his lovely lady in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. please, Dan. Um, why does uh, Why does ChatGPT hallucinate and not just tell you they don't know? Do you, Do we know how to avoid that or how to to plan for that? I mean, I think it's funny, but if you're relying on the data that you're getting or the information, I don't want to have to second guess, and I just wonder. Yeah, I mean, that's something that OpenAI is definitely working on. The problem is that it doesn't know it doesn't know. It is not aware, and it is just the best autocomplete in history. All it does is chain words together. So as it's typing out, it's not just typing out for effect. And sure, it's fun watching it type out. You're like, oh, this looks great. Oh, wow, look at how much it's giving me. But it is literally just making up one word at a time. And so it just doesn't necessarily have the awareness to do that. Google, we talked about Google and what it's bringing to market is doing a better job. They actually have a tool where within their AI, you can flip a switch and turn on. Yes, you have to flip the switch to turn this on. It's not just a native feature, but where it actually checks its answer to say how much and what percentage of accuracy and cite it. And I know that's something that OpenAI is working on. That's where I don't necessarily feel like AI is the best when you're using ChatGPT for a research tool. Um, and there are better tools. I mentioned perplexity. That's, I think, a better one in terms of the fact that it also cites a bunch of examples. But that's definitely a challenge that people are having. One way to get around that, if it's your own data, is you could upload your own information and then you can prompt it to say, only use my information in your response. And then that's a nice way to kind of safeguard around that. Some people do that too, where you take your own writing. Maybe you were very verbose. And you need to cut it down to have a shorter social version of oh, what you're Oh, Winston out Churchill there, right? would love this. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. And again, it's only using your words. So again, but a lot of that comes down to, to what version that you're using. And if you're using the free version versus the paid version, or you're using the paid version, but you don't have it set up to 
tie into the internet, then you're not going to get the best answer and results. So those are some things to consider as well. All right. Any other audience questions? I know that mic is so intimidating. Does he want to serenade us? I'm not going to use the mic. All right. (laughs) Which app do you actually download? There's there's a lot of versions of ChatGPT. So which version of ChatGPT versus the app? So there's an open AI app, and that's the app that you want to use. There's other apps that integrate with ChatGPT, but it's not a native integration. So when you're downloading it, look for open AI. I have another question question from from the bucket. Uh, what is the ROI on AI investments and over what time frame can I expect returns? Wow, who wrote that one down? That's a serious one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think definitely ROI is a consideration. It's a strong business consideration. Um, before you're at an ROI state, you really should start by rolling out a small pilot group within your organization, right? Figure out a few people that are trusted within the organization that are actually going to try it and utilize it and pay for paid accounts that they can utilize it for and have them come up with use cases. Um, You know, coming back to lean management example, big part of lean management, it's like you have a team of people coming around a problem and identifying what the business driver is going to be, how much savings they could create. You could do the same with AI. And I know some businesses that are just um, internally kind of playing around with it. I know other businesses that are larger that are going all in and they're hiring somebody that actually is going to own AI within their organization because they really see it as so much of a future and a change agent in terms of productivity, in terms of workforce happiness, uh, because a lot of the mundane stuff that AI is really, really, really good at people on our team don't really want to do. How many people on our team struggle to write an email, struggle to respond to some sort of a client situation or deal with a challenge? There's a lot of things that AI maybe is almost better suited to do. Any other questions from the humans in the room? Okay. We got Jack coming up, coming up to the front. He's going to use the mic. I love that. (laughs) All right. So how do we address AI for college students when they have to do APA format in paper citations in references, especially at the grad level? Because I won't allow my students to use it. I think that's a great question. I feel uh, undereducated to answer that. I can tell you what I would say that needs to happen in elementary school, middle school, and high school. We could apply some of that to college, but a lot of people in education, they're considering the flipped classroom. So instead of sending people home with homework that the robot can do very quickly and very well and having them bring it back in, you actually need people to do it in the classroom. And then they go home and they learn the material. So instead of the teacher teaching the instruction in front of the students and then asking them to go home and work on it, it's reversed. So I think same for for college. I would also argue though that like writing a good essay, that skill set kind of gone um, because it's very, very easy to have something else do that. So for you to test for someone's ability. So SAT, the whole component around people's writing Is that going to be here in a few years? I'm not sure. I think a lot of people are really grappling with this, but it's going to need to be people in person actually testing people's aptitudes around problem solving together. And ultimately, that's what it really is. It's like a calculator at the end of the day. It's a much more competent calculator. It can do a lot more, but it's now table stakes. It's a tool. It's out there. And there's really nothing we can do about it. And I know some educators that are losing their minds over this, and they're saying, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Uh, But the same thing happened when books came out. I know, books came out. People were like, books, 
they're out now. People are just going to carry them around in their pockets. They're not going to need to learn anything. Um, but it's kind of the same thing. I don't have the answer for college, though, because I think it's such a different problem to solve. But unfortunately, it is a problem that is not something we can sit on as a, as a civilization. It's something we have to solve now. Educators have to figure it out. They have to grapple it out now. Because think about the generation of Zoomers that did a lot of schooling on a uh, computer. Now they have this AI tool that's doing their homework for them. That's not a good situation long term. It's honestly not. And unfortunately, that might be one doomsday situation uh, with regards to AI that we need to figure out. Any other questions? We have software called Turnitin. Yeah. It will identify where the source came from. So the, so the problem with Turnitin, unfortunately, is it is, I, as far as I'm aware, does not, it's not able to test for generative AI. It was able to test for like a 3.5, the 4.0, um, it's not able to do. So, and there were a whole bunch of AI startups that were literally going after solving that problem. People were talking about watermarks, there's going to be watermarks within the copy. And guess what? Where's the investment in that? It's gone. Where are these startups? They're, they're not, at least as in my awareness, uh, still operating because... They, that kind of went out the window. It's too hard a problem to solve, unfortunately, because people can quickly edit and, and manipulate their text. There's even AI tools that allow you to take what came out of ChatGPT, you run it through there, and then it says, okay, yep, you're, you're good. I don't Never underestimate tools. a kid's ability <laughs> to figure out a loophole. But can we also maybe like tap into that skill set and... I don't know, as educators, maybe try to foster that in a meaningful way. I think all this is going back to as frustrating as it is, we're living in disruption. Like this is something that is maybe disrupting an old way of how we we tested and, and, and understood people's comprehension. And maybe, you know, we're just at that kind of precipice of, of sliced bread. Aren't these kids going to become prompt engineers? I mean, isn't, isn't that a whole thing, like learning how to... Yeah, I was just going to say that. I, I think in some ways you can flip the answer to the question to say, uh, bridging off the calculator, that all of our aptitude is going to be measured in our ability to use these tools. And if we can't use the tools, we don't know how to use the tools, then the kids that use the tools are going to get ahead and we're going to be left behind. That's that's the real challenge. And Veronica, you're a perfect example of this. You were a huge fighter of, you were like, it's wrong. I don't think it makes sense. We shouldn't use it. I like writing. I enjoy the way that my writing sounds. And if I'm at dinner with my family, that's exactly what I'm still saying. <laughs> don't worry, mom, I'm not using it. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to once you understand where it is able to help you, it's almost like you have to try the thing. And if you're someone who learns by doing or you're an experimenter by nature, it's kind of hard to form an opinion on something unless you do it. Like I had to go see live ska music to be like this is not it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have time for one more question and then I think we got to we got to wrap this up. No, no, what point are you? It's a comment, uh, more about thinking about it in terms of Google. So, in the workplace, how many times do you talk to someone and say, well, Google it, find out what it is? 20, 30 years ago, they would have been like, if you're looking it up, that's cheating. So, I see it in a similar vein that this is the next step in terms of you're going to get the whole kit into Google, not just, you know, you don't have to learn it, it's going to present everything to you, whatever you need all together in a package. Yeah, we're moving past the moment of search. The moment of search is going to be gone forever. And it's going to be ask. And then beyond ask, it's, it's going to be do. 
Because when you get to do, it's going to be a point where you're giving a series of inputs and the thing just goes out and do it. And there's examples where people are using ChatGPT to plan a whole three-day weekend where they're moving through, uh, you know, California wine country and they're booking stays using OpenTable and all sorts of things. So... I think we're still seeing a one-dimensional interaction right now with it, but it is fundamentally different than going through search and having to weed through and find the right link and the right click and then scurry around in that page to find what section that Google decided to show you that relates to what you were looking for. So it fundamentally changes the game, and I think the game is ready to be upended all over again. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! If you had to take anything away from the show today, Veronica. It's that maybe I do just love Big Brother. Uh, or maybe AI is here to help if we let it. <laughs> Mine would be it's your competition that's going to be using this tool. And if you're not using it, you're missing the boat. And with that, we're out, folks. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, smash the subscribe button or listen wherever you get your podcasts. We're out of here.